0: I'm your host, Andy Earle. Hey, we're here today with Eric Huberman. He is a serial entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, a marketing agency that has worked with over 3,000 different brands all around the world. And he's the author of the new book, The Hawk Method. We're going to be talking with Eric today about his experiences growing up as a child and teenager and 20-something that led him to start this company and grow it to a point where it's worth now over $150 million. We'll talk about how to show your teenagers different options for what they could be doing with their life, how to strike the right balance between helping and supporting them, but also challenging and pushing them. And we're going to see what Eric wants to teach his own kids about marketing and how we can respond as parents when our teenagers are getting influenced by marketing, when they want us to buy them things that we don't necessarily want to buy for them. It doesn't have to be a problem. But actually, you can utilize their excitement and passion for whatever the product is Um, to teach them some valuable lessons. We're going to see exactly how to do that. Really, really looking forward to speaking with Eric about all that and more. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Talk to me a little about this. I read this book of yours, The Hawk Method, The Three Principles of Marketing That Made Over 3,000 Brands Soar. Why do you like that and what inspired you to
1: write a book about it? Speaking of Teenagers, so like I growing up, always had an entrepreneurial kind of focus. I always wanted to build something, start something, etc. The funny thing is, I my dad was an entrepreneur, so I had like mentor support in the sense of like I watched someone do it. But when I'd want to yeah. do things like I tried to start an online music business, like selling music equipment when I was twelve. So that was two thousand. so that was nineteen ninety nine. I tried to start a music e commerce site. I called all the different music suppliers. Got Catalogs and you know accounts with all of them, and when I went to order, they sent me the form, and I needed a seller's permit. I was like, "Oh, shoot. okay, so it turns out a 12 year- old can't apply for a seller's permit, so I went to my dad and, "Hey Dad can you go with me to the courthouse and get me a seller's permit?" And he's like, "No, what are you talking about? Absolutely not." And so that was the end of that dream. but I always had that motivation, and one of the biggest things that happened to me as a young person was in eighth grade, my friend's dad actually convinced our school to let us do like half, it was like a half day once a week for eight weeks to go tour a local business. So we literally would go like Ah. check out the local bank or the local health food store with the owner. So it just, between that and my own family, it solidified itself in my head that like, yeah, you can go get a job. And so I just figured I'd do that. And so went to college, got out. And in 2008 is when I graduated college and uh, went into real estate on my own, uh, tried to start you know, building my own real estate sales practice. Uh, so no income, uh, hope, you know, hopefully a lot of commissions. And I had a knack for sales. So I ended up immediately getting like $35 million in listings, which with the commissions I was going to generate, probably make a million bucks as a 21-year-old except for wow. one week after I started in real estate, Lehman Brothers went bankrupt and the entire economy collapsed.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: <laughs> so to fast forward, was in real estate for a year, made $350 that year, went into debt, was really <laughs> rough. And so I ended up starting my first online business. Circling back, I started an online music company, but actually for business coaching for musicians. The guy that actually ran that class at my eighth grade class that took us around to local businesses, He had been observing me over time and he called me and said, his son was actually the drummer in my band in high school. And he said, hey, he's pursuing this music thing. I saw that you've become this young entrepreneur. I really want to find a way to help these musicians figure out how to make money. Do you have any ideas? I put a business plan together and came back to him a few months later. I've had nothing else going on, just to be blunt. He disappeared for a few months and came back. It was like April of 2009. By August of 2009, he called me and said, He's like, "Hey, I raised us a million dollars. You're running the thing. You get five percent of it, minimum wage. Let's go." <laughs> by the way, minimum wage is a lot better than three hundred bucks a year. So I was yep, like, right? "Yeah, I'm in. Let's go." And so <laughs> we start. So for two years, we built this online business coaching for a musician company. And so after two years, I hired a CEO to replace myself, and I moved on. So that's when I really got into e-commerce. I started a t-shirt subscription company called Swag of the Month. And by the way, this was just me. At I was 24 at that point sitting on the couch with a friend and going, I hate shopping. Like, what if we just shipped someone a t-shirt, like picked out a t-shirt for someone and just shipped it to them for like nine bucks a month and just picked out t-shirts. And and my next door neighbor happened to have built a t-shirt company at one point. So knew how to like manufacture t-shirts. So he and I partnered up, we launched it and ended up being this whole new innovative business model that no one had seen, you know, subscription e-commerce. And so it took off. And then we sold it after a year and a half within three weeks, I didn't know my worth, but I got offered six figure salaries to be the head of e-commerce for Warner Music, the head of business development for Live Nation, or to join this little incubator in Santa Monica called Science, which when I told my parents about that, they're like, you're obviously going to work for Live Nation or Warner Music. Like, no shit. Yeah, come was, on.
0: <laughs> but yeah,
1: but I live in Santa Monica and those are in Burbank and Hollywood. Like that commute sucks. I don't want to be on the road all the time. And I kind of like startups. And they're like, yeah, but you've done this startup thing. You know, again, I've been in startups for three years at that point. And they like to them, they're like, what are you talking about? Everyone that cared about me as advice, I took the startup (laughs) and this incubator had just launched a little razor company called Dollar Shave Club. And so I got to join up with that and they ended up launching a bunch of e-commerce companies. I ended up advising on all of them and then focusing on one. They had this vitamin company that was failing. I looked at it and said, this is a good business. And they said, well, what if we pivoted to copy your t-shirt company, but for women's activewear?" I went, yeah, that'll work. Mm-hmm. And at that point I was 26, but I had two exits under my belt in e-commerce. Cool. I had a great track record and that was 2013. There was no one out there that had all this experience. Like digital was still pretty new. Facebook ads were like four years old. Like there was no one out there that had a ton of experience. And now all these brands are going, shoot, we really need to look at this digital thing. So I started consulting mm. for a bunch of people. A bunch of people offered me jobs. And I was like, no, but I'll consult. And all of a sudden, within a couple months, I had a, eight clients paying me to consult. And I'm 26 making 30 grand a month. And I was <laughs> like, this is fun. Um, this is nice. <laughs> and I remember a year before I was making a minimum wage, when I joined that company, they paid me 100 grand at Ellie, And then all of a sudden, I'm wow. making... 350 grand a year and with a year after that and I'm like this is like and I was still living off of three grand a month you know like I was still trying to like budget so I was just saving money and I got a few months into it and realized there's something here I called the guy that I hired to run the music company and said hey that hasn't grown like I thought it wouldn't you've done a great job running it for three years but I think it's time to put it to bed like it's just not it's basically Mm. like livable wage for a few people and not that interesting but I think I have something here. Why don't you come join me with this? And he came in to run client strategy, but then quickly became my partner and he and I built it. So fast forward now, it's been eight and a half years. We're 300 people. We run marketing for 600 brands. We have a $50 million second venture fund. We have a financing arm that we've done, I think about $20 million in loans to our clients. We uh, haven't announced it yet, but we bought a software company that we're gonna be launching soon that coincides with everything we're doing. My book came out in March. Yeah. So we've really just hit the ground running and tried to build, as we call it, a mini conglomerate of how we make great marketing accessible to companies.
0: It's really an interesting story. And I think it's like so telling in terms of how often as parents like we want our kids to do the safe things and take the most safe choice all the time i think that's just so natural
1: but i think it's important to share and i'm pretty open about this like my dad was super super successful as i grew up i was born you know in a small place in west l.a but as i became got older my dad hit a really incredible amount of success i was the oldest boy he was so concerned that i'd be a spoiled rich kid went the opposite and honestly to an extent that i don't think that's necessary but he would uh you know say things like at eight years old he'd tell me just remember the dog gets all my money you get nothing like i was thinking about (laughs) money but but he kept that tone and so i just never looked at what my dad had created even though there was points where i you know came to realize there was going to be an inheritance i eric have a crazy appetite for risk Because zero to Mm. me is not zero. I think that in the back of my mind, I still know that like, I'm not going to be broke on the street so I can take big risks. It didn't become conscious until he pointed it out. Cause I also knew like, I work harder than everyone I know. And I, you know, still to this day, and I don't mind that because I enjoy what I do. It's, you know, it's fun. But if I built a company, like we got offered to sell our company a year in for $14 million, which was absurd, but that's not a win for me. To make, you know, a mm. piece of 14 million pay tax on it. said I look at that. I'm like, that's doesn't change anything for me. So I won't, you know, some people might take that. I didn't. Yeah. And so we kept building and now we're, you know, our are The last time we were valued was 150 million. So it's, wow. you know, glad I didn't take that. It's only been eight years, 10 yeah. X in eight years. I'll, I'll take that. I didn't have an interest in marketing specifically in college or like growing up. It wasn't like marketing was my dream at all. In fact, it was the opposite. I thought it was bullshit. And Mm. I look at that as, you know, again, relating back to teenagers and kids, like nobody knows what they like, you know, I wanted to be a rock star till I was 12 or 13. I wanted to be a guitar professional guitarist until I realized I got to that point where I realized I just wasn't that good. I hated like the technical practicing. I loved performing, I loved being up on stage. I loved playing songs that I loved, but all yeah. the other stuff that went into it, I hated. it. You know, you come to these realizations and I think that's okay to like have these dreams and then realize like, oh, maybe that's not what I want to pursue. And my parents said something yeah. to me along the way that was really poignant too, which is it's really hard to make a living as a musician. So maybe I have a backup plan. Yeah. And then I watched when I was 12, same timing, I watched behind the music with Sting and he was ripped off for like $25 mm-hmm. million by his manager. I was like, how'd that happen? My parents were like, he didn't understand business. Like, okay. So to be a musician, you have to understand business. So that's where I started like, you know, balancing the two. And by the time I got to the end of high school, I I went from being a guitarist to, okay, maybe I'll be like a manager in music to it's okay to have a hobby. I'll just go find something else for work. Like it's okay to, I have a guitar sitting behind me. Like (laughs) I'm still not that good but I love playing. The difference between having a passion and a hobby and having a profession can be different. I think we teach our kids to pursue their passions, which I agree with in some senses, but I also think professionally, it's okay to have something that you really love that you're really good at, I think is where people actually find their sweet spot versus just what I'm passionate about. If I currently did what I was passionate about, I'd either be an airline pilot or a uh, professional snowboarder. Neither I'd be that good at. Neither would make me as much money as I'm making being in marketing, which I'm really good at and I enjoy. If I had to put a, you know, on a list, I would I list marketing as my number one biggest passion. No, that'd be. And if anyone did, I think they'd be lying. Like it's doing it. I'm fascinated by it and super into it. Yes, but if I was being told to pursue my passion. I don't know that I'd be starting a marketing agency, but what I do love doing is building and growing and, the, and running a business and doing all these things. Like it's, is the confluence of things I love to do and things I'm good at.
0: I think a lot about passion and how it's such a, it's a good buzzword that parents just want, oh, I want my kids to be happy. I want them to you know, find their passion yeah. and do things they're passionate about and kind of maybe you need to reframe that a little bit or just- Yeah, I think, think things that, that,
1: that give way. you energy, things that you're excited about, I think passion is a little too indescript is the problem. Like I think people believe that they have a passion and that's where you get in trouble. I am very passionate about what I do. Like I'm excited by it. I get energy from it. Yeah. That is incredibly important you're going to work more than you probably do anything else, like obviously or sleep, but like you're, you know, the hour workday is not really a realistic thing anymore. So let's assume you work 10 hours a day. There's not anything else you do 10 hours. I don't think most people sleep 10 hours. I think that's a little overkill. So, you know, it's you're not going to, that's going to be the majority of your waking time is going to be working. And so the idea of doing something you don't enjoy is absurd if you care about your life. But I think the idea of it being the, your calling or your passion I think that's the difference, actually. I'd say, I feel like I found my calling. I do, because I feel like I am really good at this and I enjoy it. And I've been able to find a niche. And I've reminded myself over and over again, the fact that I found that at 26 years old, it, I feel just fortunate. I think that was an accident. Again, yeah. 26, so five years before I started a marketing agency, I was literally making fun of marketing majors in college. Like, and I was, I was a management major. Like, I was not like I had any high ground to stand on. I was just like, what's marketing? Like drawing pretty pictures. What what, what is marketing? Like this stupid buzzword. That's how I felt about it. And so I think when we're talking to our kids, it's okay to try things out. Like I always do a lot of speaking at colleges, at high schools, things like that. And when I do that, one of the things I was advised is like your teens and twenties are about learning, learning what you want to do, learning about the job, like just focus on education. Don't worry about like make money to live. Don't get me wrong. But like Most kids in their 20s can live off of minimum wage. Like if you really buckle down, like, and I mean, like in California, it's double the federal minimum wage and you should be able to like live and figure it out. Like not saying you're going to live lavishly, but like, it's more about figuring out what you like, what you're good at, trying things out because the perception of a job and the reality of a job, very different. The perception of what I do all day versus what you think I'd do all day running a marketing agency, or is it very, very, very different? And so getting your arms around it and starting to figure out, again, that confluence of what are you good at and what do you enjoy doing, I think is really the goal with profession, not again, pursuing your passion. Now, if you're one of the fortunate few that your passion is also what you're incredibly good at, and one of the best in the world at, you're Sean White, pursue your passion. Like, I want to be clear on that. If society is leaning more and more towards this idea of pursuing that and like whatever yeah, you love yeah. doing. And I think that just creates a lot of pain, frankly. You know, if you're mediocre at it, but you love doing it, you end up pursuing this thing. You're not realistic with yourself. You struggle for 10 years. You don't get that education. and maybe something else that you could be good at and you could actually accelerate that. And you end up now in your 30s, where you actually need money. And you start, you know, whether it's you're starting a family, etc, you have some needs now, and you don't have that baseline. So I think that coaching, you kind of need to look at how do you help people figure that part out. And by the way, before you're an adult, pursue all these things, you know, you look at uh, there's Malcolm Gladwell's outlier. And I think Malcolm Gladwell an idiot in some ways, but I really like that book. And I think there's a lot of points made there. One of the biggest ones is the idea of, you know, the 10,000 hours and starting early, like Bill Gates was yeah. in a computer web in junior high. Steve yeah. Jobs working, I think it was for IBM, right? You know, and Atari as a young kid, like there's a benefit to, for kids to start doing things and getting an education in things that they may pursue as professions. But I think yeah. exploration and curiosity become critical as a kid.
0: that's such a good lesson for kids to believe in them, but also make them do things for themselves. Yeah. it's um, the
1: balance. Cause I think that's where yeah. I, like I I'm about to be a parent myself. I'm having my first in two months. Actually. Yeah. My wife is 32.
0: Old,
1: so when we talk about how we want to raise our kids, it's similar with a little more support where it's like, you know, yeah. love how I turned out. I'm very fortunate that I have this chip on my shoulder that I want to be motivated, but I think there's a way yeah. to do it with your kids where it's positive encouragement while also letting them fail, letting them, you know, see that failure isn't that bad. Like the, the helicopter parent is not good either, but no. neither is beating your kids up and making them feel shitty. The goal here is to enable them to feel like they can take on the world themselves because they're going to have to at one point. Like parents won't be there forever. You've got to enable your kids to stand on their own two feet. So I talk to my wife a lot about build confidence. Yeah. I'd rather have to have a absurdly confident kid. That's almost an asshole than an insecure kid, just being blunt. i want to build a lot of confidence in my kid, <laughs> but confidence doesn't totally. come from telling your kid they're amazing all the time. Confidence also comes from your kid actually seeing that they can do things themselves. And so setting them up for success. Yeah. And I don't mean my parents never bought flowers or lemonade for me. You know what I mean? Like they didn't come and be my customer, et cetera. But they helped me figure out to put my stuff in a wagon and walk it down. Like you know, just like give them a nice nudge in the right direction, yeah, and then right. let them feel the accomplishment for themselves.
0: Yeah, because then you don't feel like this is something that your parents just did for you. It's like a formative. Yeah, and memory I, I of will say,
1: from what I've seen, most kids don't actually take that away from. Like everybody wants to believe they did it all themselves. That's just yeah. pure and ego. But I do think it's more when you gain the ability to work through challenges you become so much more confident. Like, you know, the running a business, like you're, you're gonna deal with some crazy stuff. Like every successful business these days deals with lawsuits, deals with crazy employees, deals with crazy clients, deals with all sorts of stupid stuff. On a daily basis, you're hearing another bullshit thing coming. And if you haven't been set up to work through problems yourself, it can be soul crushing. And so you've gotta come from a place where it's like, yeah, but I'm gonna be fine. Like, we'll figure this out when you get those big problems, you have to have worked through smaller problems over time and gone through challenges and got good mentorship and guided through. Like, it's hard to do it yourself. So I think it's OK to mentor your kid, to convite, give your kid advice, but you kind of also have to let them do. Like You can't do it for them. You yeah. can walk them through it. I think that's fine. I still stop, talk about, I think the best advice my dad gave me, which he was never a good teacher, but he was a good person to watch. And I, a month into Hawk, I had an employee blow off half our clients like oh oh, it's a long story but i thought it was like could be the end of us like i had just signed a lease and had a team of seven and i was i had to make money to pay for this like i didn't have money in the bank and so and my clients were all angry i call my dad and tell him this like five minute story about everything that just happened and i'm ranting and i remember i still remember it vividly and i get through this whole story and he goes "Uh uh-huh anyways yeah eric that shit happens all the time i gotta run talk to you later just hangs up. (laughs) I'm like, to me, it was like this, like (laughs) devastating blow that could be the end of my career. He's like, yeah, it happens all the time. I got to run, and he just hangs up. But I'm like, running a business, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Which again, it took me probably three years to realize that how right that was. That like, Uh... there is no break from that. But like, thankfully, like you know, that was one employee going off the rails. I had to work through that, figure it out, come out the other side we're still alive so that I could deal with the next problem, the next problem, the next problem, which just get bigger as the company gets bigger. And your problems are relative. And I really believe that for everyone. If you don't have a job, your problems are like, oh God, I have an appointment to get my hair done today. And I got to make it across town. Like that is a problem to someone that has nothing else going on. And so again, helping your kids work through issues on their own and figure out how to solve things. And Gallup just did a poll that, like, last year was the most anxious, depressed year in the United States history on record. Mm. And part of me thinks that, listen, there's a, there's a, people have been beat up by COVID and then we have a recession. There's a lot of stress in the world. So I don't want to glaze over that. I also think that we've just, because we've coddled society in some ways, we've built a group of people that don't have resilience. And because anxiety comes from, again, I think anxiety and depression and, There's chemical, I'm not talking about the chemical side. I'm talking about like if general society is more depressed and anxious, it's not chemical unless there's something in our water or food, which could be too. But (laughs) I also think that societally, we've created a place where we don't allow people to work through their own problems. And like kids, you know, we try to jump in for them and try to shelter. And like, that's kind of how we've become a society. And the problem is if you don't build those muscles of dealing with the tough stuff, when it happens, it's so devastating and you don't know what to do. And so I think it's, again, going back to the point, it's important to give our kids the tools and the confidence to work through things themselves, but let them do those things.
0: Hey, we're here with Eric Huberman, talking about how to raise teenagers in a world where they're constantly being marketed to. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show.
1: One of my good friends down the street here his son started a dog walking business and we became a customer okay. walking a bunch of dogs in the neighborhood and he taught yeah. his son spend half the money and put half the money into your Robin hood account and start trading stocks 10 years old, this kid <laughs> is stocks, which obviously I'm, I worry what happened now. A year ago when we yeah, talked about yeah. this, you know, he was making a bunch of money because he was investing in like Roblox and Nike and all the things he liked, which go figure, a lot of people like those things. And so he was doing great. But again, long-term, The kid is now 10, understanding the stock market. That kid could be the most brilliant trader of all time by the time he's 18. US makes it so easy to build wealth and a lot of people become a victim to it and end up being on the receiving end because school is horrible at teaching people how to live for themselves. You live to answer to your teacher. And parents are generally brought up that way and then bring up their kids that way. We create a society of of employees waiting for someone to yell at them to tell them what to do and get away with exactly what they have to do to get their paycheck. That's how we teach people in most of our society versus this is how the game works. Let's teach you the game of how to do this so that you can go create what you need to create to build the life you want to live. And that is still an opportunity in the United States. I definitely learned my sales abilities from be on my toes with my dad all the time because uh, he did everything yeah. I did. So my dad was a pretty emotional guy too. So like, if I worded something slightly differently, I'd get a positive or negative response. And I started being careful with my word choice, able to sell, et cetera. And my dad thought it was hilarious. So a lot of times it worked just because he's like, yeah, "Hey, he did it. Like <laughs> he convinced. We got a puppy when I was four and he knocked my two-year-old sister down and she almost needed stitches in her eye. And my dad's like, we're getting rid of this dog. I'm like, and I came in I ran out crying and then I came back and I'm like, we can't get rid of the dog because I'm going to buy the movie theater down the street and I'm going to play only Western movies because in my mind, that's all my dad watched and I need a dog to guard the candy counter. I was like, like, all right, I guess we're keeping the dog.
0: (laughs) Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.